Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks from Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, I had a little bit of a health issue lately and lost a lot of weight, almost like 60 pounds. Now, some of that was on purpose. Some of that was from the hospital stay, uh, but I had to get some new clothes. And so guess where I'm going? That's right. I'm going to Leon Tailoring because Larry Norman Kim and Judy have taken my measurements for years and the measurements have dropped a little bit. And so they'll take care of me just like they'll take care of you. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. Don't tell me you lost weight. They'll be able to tell if you have or not. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, we're continuing our conversations with various candidates for public office, and this gentleman hasn't run for office in a while, once almost in a decade, but he's back on the political scene, Andy Horning, uh, who's running as a libertarian for the U.S. Senate. So, Andy, my friend, always good to chat with you. How you been? I've been doing well. Thank you, Abdul. It's been a while. Yes, it has. Uh, so, tell me, uh, you run for uh, governor, run for U.S. Senate once before. Why get in politics again? I thought you were done with all this stuff, or at least your wife was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't ask my wife, please, but... Um, it, who else is going to put the Constitution on the ballot? And, you know, when, when you think about what a U.S. senator is supposed to be, we haven't actually had a, you know, a, a voice for Indiana in the U.S. Senate for a long time. And by that, I mean, you know, for federalism and limiting the intrusion of federal power into states. I'm the only one who's going to be putting that on the ballot. So uh, but what does that what does that mean for like regular, normal, regular people? Well, you know, it, it, for regular people, you should not see the federal government at all in your daily business. But as you know, pretty much everything is now federally controlled or federally mandated, federally subsidized, tax regulated, litigated. You know, we, we have prohibitions, mandates of every kind that come down, even through the state level, that are mandated by federal regulations. So you think about the overhead of our federal government in terms of what it means to employers, what it means to, you know, everyday citizens just trying to get by. It's enormous. You know, we're supposed to be a free country, and we still are relative to a lot of country, a lot of nations on the earth. But we're certainly no longer the freest. We've dropped many places, and that's because of federal and now international in- intrusion into our individual liberties that are supposed to be guaranteed by both state and federal constitutions. And I'd be the only one representing both of those, those contracts. Uh, Andy, what's ha- what's the crap uh, happened with you since you last ran for the U.S. Senate? What's say back in two thousand twelve? I'm sorry, what was the question again? I'm sorry, what what have you been doing uh, since two thousand twelve? Since you last ran for the U.S. Senate? Uh, well, trying to make a living, trying <laughs> to pay my taxes. So you know, like most people, you know, I've got a real life. Um, unlike most politicians, I have I've actually been doing other things for decades. And so I work in, you know, the medical device industry, and and it's pretty demanding work. Uh, It's pretty fun work, but it it also is one of the most regulated industries in the universe. And what I've done in product development for decades is tried to dance around European and U.S. regulations. And and it used to be, you know, we would laugh at the Europeans at being so litigious and all those regulations. But we've got way more lawsuits and regulations than they do by far now. Andy Horning with us on the program today. Andy Horning uh, announcing he's going to run for the U.S. Senate next year as a libertarian. Uh, Andy, uh, let's go ahead and start uh, with the current political climate. Uh, what's working? What isn't working? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, if you want to get right down to the root of all of it, you know, we've got tremendous number of symptoms of our social disease. But the real problem is that our government is corrupt. And I think most of us know that. I mean, it's, it's evident now in certain ways but I don't think people, you know, unless you really start asking people, I don't think they, you know, we don't really put together how corrupt this whole military industrial complex, big pharma, big ag, 
you know, all of the, the, the puppet masters behind the curtain that are pulling on our legislators, but more importantly, on unelected bureaucrats who actually write most of our laws these days. So there, there's almost nothing that's working right. Um, our laws are not written by lawmakers. Like I said, most of them, uh, about 40 times as many, are written by unelected bureaucrats. And, you know, you think about how the Constitution is structured for a, you know, a kind of a self-government system where we have a lot of individual rights and we govern our society more through commerce and, and culture than through law. And it is the opposite of that now, where, you know, now you almost have to figure out what's legal for me to do as opposed to what's illegal. And just in terms of how employers must interact with with employees, how much how can they can interact with each other, how we interact with each other with an inherently divisive two party system that our founders warned us against and is, by the way, unconstitutional in both state and federal constitutions. So, you know, we've got tremendous number of problems and really nothing is working the way it should. Now, I mean, I don't want to make it sound gloom and doom because this is still a great place to live. But, you know, we've got all of the pieces for a real catastrophe. And when you think about what's been happening with our property taxes, that's that's sad. Income taxes, that's sad. But what's been happening to our rights? You know, we don't have rights. We have conditional privileges with ever fewer privileges and ever increasing conditions. It's, It's a pretty bad condition to be in in the most heavily militarized nation that ever existed on the planet. Uh, Andy, when you say the system is corrupt, uh, I say corrupt as in criminal, corrupt as an undue influence. Explain, explain your corruption, if you could. Well, it depends on how you define criminal, because, you know, the people who write the, the regulations get to, get to say who's a criminal and who's not. And so they make, you know, ordinary housewives and teachers into criminals for doing what should be perfectly legit. And they do a lot of stuff, um, you know, like... Uh, for instance, it's it's legal for congressmen and, and senators to do insider trading, so they can you know regulate uh, regulate away incandescent light bulbs because they just in, invested in other kinds of light bulbs, and and so the things that they can get away with are often in quotes legal, but certainly immoral, and a lot of it is totally unconstitutional. And depending on what you think about violating the oath to office or uh, robbing citizens of their rights. I would call that a very serious crime, but since they're the ones who get to determine when, you know, to send out the SWAT teams and kick in doors, I suppose it's difficult to say that they're always criminal. It's just wrong. And an unconstitutional to me is a very, very high crime against all of us. And there's an old joke that basically says you get the government uh, you deserve. Uh, so we look at a sort of our two-party system, which you have an issue with, which we'll get to a little bit later in this interview. Uh, don't people get the government they deserve? <laughs> we do have what we've been voting for. And that's the real frustration when I talk to people and they keep telling me, gosh, I wish I could vote for you. And I ask them, what's stopping you? And then they always talk about odds and procedures and, oh, it's too much. We have the power of peaceful revolution. That's what elections are for. That's the whole point. So we could throw all of this down in a single day if we wanted to. So we've got this, this absolute power. And yet people think that, you know, oh, you know, the, this this system, you can't fight City Hall and the this puppet show, even if they admit it's a puppet show, even if they understand it's corrupt. Even you, know, you hear a lot of people like um, RFK Jr. or you read, you know, what Eisenhower said about the, both the military industrial complex and, the you know, the 
scientific technological elite in the same speech. When people hear this stuff, they say, yeah, this is this is all rotten, but it's too big to, to do anything about. And yet we keep reelecting it. And once you reelect somebody, you own that. You know, you you can no longer deny that you have chosen this lot. And when people tell me, oh, all politicians are alike, how would they even know? Because they keep reelecting the same politicians. Um, question for you, my friend. Uh, what do you think it's going to get to to get people to maybe sort of change that attitude, that that that, that philosophy when it comes to to their elected officials? Well. I think we all saw some real positive signs with the Donald Rainwater campaign, where people were in, under so much pain with the you know the COVID lockdowns that they were pulling the lever for a libertarian for the first time in their lives. And so you had a lot of people in Indiana who were saying, "I'm done with this this GOP," which you know really what's the difference with the Indiana GOP and National Democrats you know the rising taxes the gas taxes are crazy property taxes are crazy and it took a lot of pain to make them change what i'm hoping happened you know I, and this is this is hope i keep my hopes high and my expectations reasonable that you know that that maybe um maybe we're not in as much pain but maybe we remember that pain and maybe we're worried about how much power our government has to inflict that pain on us again at any time and for any reason. Maybe not COVID, but maybe it'll be, you know, monkey pox or, you know, or fish pox or, you know, whatever the next big thing is going to be that they've been warning us is coming. And they're already talking about, you know, the big problem with misinformation has to be controlled before our next pandemic. It's coming. And and I'm hoping that people will understand that it is coming because the power is there. And politicians, once they have power, they don't let it loose and they like to exercise it. So once people start understanding that what we're, we got over with to some degree, or at least we think we did, is still there and it's bigger and it's uglier and there, there's a lot more money. The stakes are very high. And I wish we would look at this seriously and vote the way we talk. You've got so many people saying, oh, I'm going to get my M16 and I'm going to shoot the government. No, you're not. If you're not even going to vote for it, you're certainly not going to fight for it. And we're not we're not voting like, you know, like adult citizens who are taking accountability for our own government. And that is what we need to do. And that's always been my hope that at some point something is going to make us snap out of this ridiculous two-party system haze that's got us on the puppet strings. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Horning. Uh, Andy Horning announcing he's running for the U.S. Senate as a Libertarian candidate. Andy's run for the Senate before and also governor uh, before as well. So, Andy, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, let's kind of walk through uh, some of the big issues. Uh, we just had a big fight over the debt ceiling uh, in this country. Uh the Biden administration, uh, Indiana House, uh, Indiana U.S. House Republicans uh, worked out a, worked out an agreement, a deal. Uh, had you been in the Senate, would you have voted for it? Oh no, <laughs> absolutely. And that, that, I, that was, by the way, that was a rhetorical. Would you have voted for it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I could just I can tell you most things that end up on the Senate floor. I would say no to most of them. And I got to tell you, you know, we are at a point now where even the discussion of this debt ceiling is kind of embarrassing because the money was already spent and we are so deeply in debt and that they're already talking about having to reduce social security benefits and medicare benefits and you know this was why people were voting for democrats and 
and kind of hoping that Republicans would keep up their end of the Social Security. It's going away. I don't think people realize how serious this is, even though they've heard it from politicians' mouths, that we are at a point when we are going to maybe not, in, in a classic sense, go bankrupt because they can just keep printing money. But that money is becoming worth less and less and less with every dollar they print. And if they're already talking about cutting, you know, Social Security, which was like, you know, that's that's almost like sacrosanct. That's the thing that people say they need most out of government when they get to be, you know, 50s, 60s. That that gets serious. And yet we're not taking it seriously. So, you know, I I hope that, you know, something snaps here real soon, because with the debt ceiling, we've already spent way too much money. And we're spending money in other countries to ridiculous proportion. And that, I suppose, will be another question. But, you know, you think about what Ukraine is. Has, we'd always thought of Ukraine as a corrupt monstrosity ever since 1994, when everybody agreed they needed to be disarmed from their nukes. And, you know, we've, we've been manipulating that country for a long time, but it's always been a mess. And now we're finding revelations of how much corruption is, has been in Ukraine from our own government. And, you know, the fact that we're spending billions and billions on that and we're going to tell our seniors to go take a hike. Ah, man. I mean, this is way out of control. So, my friend, uh, to deal with the debt ceiling issue, what would you what what would be the Andy Horning solution to deal with our national debt? Well, I've already I've I've had this written down for decades now. And and basically it's just do the Constitution, which would nullify most of our federal spending and. And I know what that sounds like. People are thinking, oh, he's going to get rid of our government. No, I want to govern our government. I want it to be focused on what it's supposed to be doing and not getting involved in everything else to great cost. And I don't think people understand that, you know, a lot of the things that we call government programs would happen cheaper and better if the government just stayed the heck out of it, like education, for instance. Look what's happened to the cost and quality of education since the government got involved in 1980, the federal government I'm talking about in this case. So, you know, you, you think, you know, we have tremendous amount of money that's surging through our federal government. Some of it goes through our federal government, comes back through the states, or comes from the states, goes to the federal government, and then comes back to us. And at every point, lobbyists and lawyers and campaign cr- contributors are making money off of us. And just look at campaign contributions by themselves. Why do big corporations spend millions of dollars on a candidate? It's because they know they're going to get billions back in special deals for special people. And that costs all of us. So if we were to just get rid of the stuff that's unconstitutional, which is, by the way, a lot of what I'm calling corruption, and then we would have, you know, a lot more money that, that, you know, we don't need to spend on the federal government and we would get better services out of it as a result. And and by the way, I'm not even talking about cutting Social Security. I'm talking about doing things that maybe are going to replace it eventually, phase it out eventually. But we've got to come up with better ways that are not dependent on a rising population, because that's you know, think about, you know, why we want so many illegal aliens coming in. And we do, by the way, it's because we need them to make the numbers for our our demographic-based systems of Social Security and Medicare to make those work out because the math is failing us right now. And so we've got lots of problems that because we have gone so far from constitutional limitations, it's, you know, this is, this is a monster, and we've just got to cut it back. 
Andy, one of the big things about our federal spending is that only about 15, 16% of, 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 of federal spending is sort of non-entitlement. You got Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, you know, defense, uh, interest on the debt, and then things like Department of Education, Energy, you know, Congress, blah, blah, blah. That's only about 15% of the budget. So how do you... How do you how do you get to the to where the meat is and where the problem is, which is entitlements, defense, and interest on the debt? Well, I mean, the interest on the debt's not so small. That's a, that's a big one, and that would be you know if you think about how little it would actually take. You know, we're talking. You know, my plan has always been nullification over ten years, and if we enact that now and start really cutting things back, it would be pretty fast that we can get down to cut down the, the at least the national debt and reduce that interest on on debt do hopefully nothing because we wouldn't be in debt anymore. But, you know, uh, you don't don't discount the problems with Social Security and Medicare um, that are due to a lot of the, the ancillary issues with medical regulation and with, you know, the other things that come along with um, federal subsidies. So, I mean, while that, that turns into kind of a complicated answer, I think you can understand why it is that a lot of the money of politics is kind of behind the scenes with campaign donations and that uh, those rising costs of buying off politicians. Um, and, and we're talking billions and billions of dollars per election cycle now, by the way. And they expect a massive payoff for their billions and billions spent. Um, that ends up having to come back to us. And that ends up meaning that we spent a lot more for everything than we ought to. And the devaluation of the dollar is largely because of the Fed, you know, our monetary policies, more than it is even uh, like Medicare and Social Security. Just the fact that our dollar is a debt coupon that's based on nothing. And, you know, I, in my book, I've got a whole chapter on you know how this is actually supposed to work and, and why it isn't now. But the cost that we see in the national debt and the spending is not even all of it. And even when you consider that you know, the off-book spending, you know, by uh, CIA, for instance, that we find, oh, they lost another $1.7 trillion. That's not insignificant. And that is all illegitimate off-the-book stuff. There is an awful lot that is not just unconstitutional, but crazy expensive. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.